Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, 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 and welcome to this week's edition of Don't Box Me In. I am your host, Lana Reed. Today we are talking about a topic all too familiar with too many of us, and that is debt. That ugly word, debt. My guest today found herself at a young age drowning in debt and managed to establish a plan to crawl out of it and get back on good financial footing. She now shares her tools and tips for a healthy financial lifestyle with others. Letitia Stiles has been quoted in several media outlets, including Forbes, U.S. News, Main Street, and The Economist. She's joining me today to share how the millennial generation can budget, invest, and achieve success. So glad to have Ms. Stiles on the show today with me. And a great big welcome. Letitia, thank you for joining me on Don't Box Me In. Yes, Lana, thanks so much for having me here. I'm so excited to be here. Likewise, likewise. So your story begins with you racking up over $22,000 in debt in six years. Yes. Little lady, lady, how did that happen? (laughs) Um, It happened pretty, um, pretty easily. It kind of crept up on me, actually. So, uh, 22,000 creeps on somebody. Okay, let's see how it takes. <laughs> well, I started out with, um, as everyone starts, with just that one credit card. Uh-huh. And um, I was 18 years old. I had just got off to college. I was on my own um, a couple hours away from my home. But, you know, it was far enough for me to feel, you know, that sense of independence. Mm-hmm. So I applied for my first credit card. And I think they gave me, a, you know, a small limit. It was probably $750. Mm-hmm. So nothing too terrible to get myself in danger with. But as I continued to use that credit card wisely, I was um, charging and paying off. Um, my credit score continued to rise. I mean, I was doing everything that I should have been doing. Mm-hmm. The um, So then the creditors, you know, they love to offer you more credit when you're doing what you're supposed to do. True. So I continued to get more credit. Then I got more credit cards. And um, I still didn't have a problem with the debt that I had. Um, it was still manageable. I still had a job. The problem came in around um, 2007, 2008, when I was going to school and I left the job that I was working at the time. It was a part-time job um, because I wanted to stay in school full-time and finish everything up. Um, And this was me going back to college, actually. So I had finished the first degree and I decided to go back to school. Then um, right after I graduated for the second time, it was May of 2010, And I had all of this debt that I had built up over the last, uh, let's say, eight or nine years. Mm -hmm. And I was having a really hard time finding a job. In fact, I couldn't find one at all. Mm -hmm. And my debt continued to creep up on me. And at that point, I just I had to stop paying everything because I didn't have the ability to do it. Mm hmm. So after um, after maybe 11 months of looking for a job, I finally got a position in my career field and I was able to set a plan into place to pay off what had now become over $22,000 worth of debt. I also had about $10,000 left on a car loan. So over the course of three years, I paid off about $30,000 worth of consumer debt. Wow. Wow. You know, I'm thinking... Back to my own uh, college uh, lifestyle. And I remember being a freshman in college, walking across UCLA campus, and you were just kind of plummeted everywhere with advertisements for, you know, get a credit card, get a credit card. It's just so easy for a young person to get access to credit. And now that I'm much older, you know, I realize that maybe that's not such a good thing to offer them because we give them the credit, but we don't give them the tools to actually effectively manage the credit that we give them. Um, Exactly. And that's actually, that's been changing in recent years. So there's uh, some laws and restrictions that have been put into place about how you can market credit cards to those 18 years of age, because that was something that credit card companies were doing on purpose. They knew that if they got you at 18, right when you went into college, you didn't really know if you Mm -hmm. should a card or not, but you are eligible to get one. And that's kind of something that recent law has changed where the card companies are not really able to do that anymore. Cool. Cool. That's a good step. That's a good step. So when it came to, um, 
uh, paying off your debt, you realize an issue that I frequently find myself telling my own 19-year-old daughter who's off in college. You know, you have to understand your needs versus your wants. And, you know, that's such a hard thing for a young person to, you know, you're 18, you're 19, you know, and I want to hang out with my friends and, I, you know, I want to buy this new outfit. It's hard to discriminate at a certain age. Like, I don't really need this. I surely, surely want this. You know, um, it's it's a struggle. How do you encourage young people to to make the distinction? Yeah. So when I first started using credit, everything pretty much was a want. Um, (laughs) I I took vacations. I went shopping every weekend. Um, You know, nice clothes, nice shoes. Uh, I was living... um, as a non-broke college student, even though I really was a broke college student. <laughs> so the credit card allowed me to, you know, really live it up. Mm-hmm. But um, once I decided to pay everything off, like you said, I had to distinguish between my needs and my wants. And that was the first thing I did. I set a couple of rules where, so like the first rule was um, no impulse shopping. Mm-hmm. So if I had something that I needed to get, I had to put it on a list and then I had to, you know, go to the store and only buy what was on that list. Um, If I, you know, saw something that I wanted while I was there, but it wasn't on my list, even if it was something I may have needed, um, I wasn't allowed to purchase it. I wasn't allowed to purchase anything on a whim or anything um, on an impulse. I had to leave the store put that item on my list, evaluate it when I'm not in that, you know, emotional state. Mm-hmm. And then if I really needed it, then I would end up going back to the store with my list to go and purchase that item. Okay. Good stuff. Good stuff. Wow. You know, and like I said, it's just so hard to, you know, we're, we're bombarded as consumers with all of this, you know, you must have, you need to have things. And, you know, um, as a mother now, I, I just, find myself humorously always telling my daughter these years of your life are supposed to be top ramen noodle years you're supposed right. to be this is all you're supposed to have and i'm not helping you with anything else unless it's top ramen uh, budget you know so she, she calls me like a miserable mom but you know <laughs> built character that's what i tell her yes. but i tell you you know live like a college student while you're in college so that you don't have to live like a college student once you get out i know right i know you know one of the other uh problems that college students have to face you know, it's a reality these, these, these days, and it's a hot topic, is, is um, college loans, student loans. Yes. Um, and, and that is such a debilitating thing for a person, um, you know, and it follows them for years and years and years. What is your suggestion to um, the young generation as they're going through college, you're trying to pay for it, and, and not being, you know, overwhelmed with this, this concept of student loans? Yeah, I would say, I mean, the student loan problem has definitely become an issue. There's over $1 trillion of student loan debt uh, in the U.S. right now. So I know that it's really huge. There are a lot of students that are struggling with loans. Mm-hmm. The first place to start is before you even go to college, if you're in this position, then um, start working maybe part-time and look for ways that you can finance school yourself. Mm-hmm. Either go to a school that's um, not as expensive, um, you know, maybe something close to home, start with a community college for two years, and then go to the big name school if you really want a degree from there. So there are a couple of ways to kind of minimize that cost. And if you're in college already and you're already taking out loans, then do everything you can to, number one, start paying those loans back, Mm -hmm. or number two, stop taking out loans if possible. Um, If you can work a part-time job, if you can um, try to apply for more scholarships, anything Mm -hmm. that's going to help you to try to minimize those loans um, or get out of school faster, you know, do Mm -hmm. Uh, take extra classes, take summer classes, anything that you can do to kind of minimize the amount of loans that you're going to have to take out. Okay, good point. So no six-year college plan for students. Hurry up and get out of (laughs) (laughs) Avoid the six-year plan. One one really good technique is many schools, like if you take a full load, I think a minimum full load is, for example, at my school it was uh, 12 credit hours. But you were allowed to go up to 18 credit hours and still pay that one flat uh, full load cost. And so if you add those extra two classes every semester and then you do the summer classes also, you can actually save yourself about a semester and a half, almost a year worth of um, education uh, costs if you um, if you use that technique. 
Okay, good tips, good tips. You know, and I really like um, that you pointed out to go to community college first because, you know, I kind of suggest that to people. You know, there's no shame in it, and it's a lot of money that you're saving in your pocket to go to a community college for two years. And a lot of these community college have programs where you, you get easier admission into the school of your choice if that's what you like, and you've saved all that money. So I think that's exactly. a good point. Good point, too, as well. Now, you provide financial tips to the millennial. Um, For those who might not know, explain to us what a millennial is. Yes. So millennials are they're in the news almost every single day. (laughs) So we are and I say we because I'm a part of this generation as well, um, classified as those born between about 1980, 1981 to about the year 2000. So the youngest of them are about 14, almost turning 15. And the oldest of them are, you know, 33, 34. And we have had the most difficult time because of what the economy has been uh, for the past couple of years. Um, And that's the time when we've been growing up, getting out of school, going into school, starting a career. And it's been a really shaky time. And that's why millennials are having such a tough time financially um, during this during this period. Yeah, you know, I know a lot of things growing up that started me out on my financial path, like my first job, you know, and like with most teenagers would be like your fast food or something like that. But now I read that even the young generation trying to get these jobs at fast food restaurants, they're already taken by adults who have, you know, been displaced from, you know, their career paths or whatever. And they're now subjected to have to take these jobs. So there's there's just not a lot of opportunities for younger generation to even get some income coming in to support the things that they want to do. Yeah, it's a little bit, it's hurting us on both sides because trying to come into the workforce, um, the second largest uh, generational group is the baby boomers. And right, we are the children of the baby boomers and they are not leaving the workforce. They're working longer mm-hmm. because fortunately they've also had the recession to kind of um take down some of the money that they used to have for their retirement. And so they've had to extend the amount of time that they're working in order to meet their retirement goals, which in turn pushes the millennials back a little bit further because we can't take over those jobs that they should be vacating. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I had just talked to a a lady the other day. Um, I believe she's 63, and she was explaining to me that she's going to work part-time for like the next couple of years or something. And then after she turns, forgive me, I'm I'm not clear on the facts, but I think 65, 67, and then she can work full-time. But you you have, like you said, you have an older generation who's still actively in the workforce um, taking away jobs that usually the younger generation would have access to. So it's a very difficult job. the limit of being right now where we're at. Exactly. Okay. We're going to take a quick commercial break and we'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back. Welcome back. Today I am with the lovely Letitia Stiles, the uh, financial consultant to the millennial generation. And before the break, we were talking about exactly what a millennial was and the issues that they're dealing with now um, in these times, these financial times. Now, can you tell me what are some mistakes that you see those in your uh, age bracket or the millennials making financially? Well, I think the first mistake that we're making is we are assuming that retirement is something that's so far off that we don't have to worry about it right now. Mm -hmm. And um, you actually you do have to think about you have to think about retirement because first you have to think about what you want your retirement to look like. Um, Some millennials are okay with the traditional retirement of, you know, work, 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 work until you turn maybe 65, 68, and then take a lump sum and then live your life. Mm-hmm. Whereas some other millennials are, you know, kind of liking the new type of retirement where you work and then enjoy life a little and then work and then enjoy life a little and then maybe change careers. And the problem with this is that 
you know, millennials are not really sure which one they want, what they want to do, and they haven't really even started thinking about it. And so if you're interested in a traditional retirement, then you can go ahead and start saving in the traditional manner. But if you want um, the more new type of retirement where, you know, you kind of go for that lifestyle design where maybe you want to travel for a couple of years and then come back to work, then it's important for you to start saving now so that you can have that money during those periods where you're in between careers or transitioning to entrepreneurship. Okay. Now, isn't it hard to convince an 18-year-old freshman in college that they need to be thinking about 65? I mean, I remember myself at 18. You couldn't tell me that 65 was was a possibility. So, I mean, I'm just thinking there's how is it to get somebody in that mindset that, you know, tomorrow will come? Well, I guess that's that's one of the benefits of the uh, Great Recession. If you can, uh, you can call it a benefit, is that millennials are much more well versed in finances and in what's going on in the economy than you know our predecessors, because we have been seeing th- that's been the top line news versus you know wars and versus you know everything else. It's information about the economy, so we do understand money just a little bit better in that we need to be aware of it. Um, the only problem with trying to help young people is it's true. You know, it's when you're a young age, you're not thinking about securing your future. You're not you want to think about what you can do tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And so in that case, what I suggest for millennials to do is to think about what your next goal is. So if your next goal is you started your career, but you really want to start your own business, then start saving for that. And then after a couple of years, maybe you realize you don't want to do a business. Well, at least you've already begun saving for that. And then you can continue saving towards your retirement. Good stuff. Good stuff. Now, um, going back to the college person, um, what tools or tips do you have? Or what is the safest way for a college person to start to establish good credit and good credit habits? Yeah. So this is a question that I get a lot. And I've actually done a video on it as well. I have some videos on YouTube about building credit as a college student. Uh, the first thing I recommend is, yes, to you know open a line of credit. I typically recommend getting a general credit card, MasterCard, Visa, Discover, um, American Express, because that's a card that you can use everywhere. Um, those are cards that you can use everywhere and you'll be able to uh, use the technique, which I recommend. Mm-hmm. And the technique is to take one of your monthly recurring bills, like a cell phone bill, or if you're living in an apartment and you can put one of your utility bills, take that bill and charge it onto your credit card each month. So you have a recurring charge going to your credit card okay. and then immediately take the cash from your bank account and pay your credit card off. Okay. And so that's going to show your creditor that you are, in fact, using the card and that you are, in fact, paying the card off every month. And if you continue to use that technique, um, you can expand it as you, you know, have more budget categories that you can put on your card and then immediately pay them off if you want to do that. But if you just want to stick with that one recurring monthly expense, that's really going to help you to build your credit and build good credit habits. Okay. So one credit card. There's no need to have every major department store card, a gas card. Just no. (laughs) I would say no department store cards at all. They don't serve a purpose because those are for wants. Purchasing clothing. If you have to get a department store card, then likely those clothes that you're buying are wants. They're not needs. You can get clothing as a need at Goodwill, and they don't have credit cards. So. Figuring out your need versus your want. A department store card is not going to do it. A gas card, yeah, that may be a need. So that one could be a good one. Um, I would prefer if it had the major symbol on it so that you could use it for um, a recurring bill if you had to. Okay. And you have you actually have um, certain cards that you recommend for college students that are better than others? Yeah, like I said, just one with a major symbol, so a Visa, MasterCard. Discover has some really good programs. They have a specific student card. Um, I think City has one as well. Um, so there are a couple of different options out there, but you can go to your bank or if you uh, bank with a credit union, ask them and see what options they have. Um, it's just important to get that first card and use it wisely. 
Gotcha, gotcha. So the takeaway from this is when you get your first card, um, it's not for I need to go and and get this five dollar meal from McDonald's. You know, it's it's actually to develop some sort of strong credit history, like you said, paying a bill and paying it on a monthly basis, but not impulse buying per se. I don't need the new Jordans or you know the new game that's coming out, you know, on exactly. Xbox or something like that. Okay, it okay. was. It was so frustrating looking at my uh, credit card reports when I was first using credit and I wasn't using it the right way because I was going to McDonald's or going to, <laughs> you know, these stores. And I'm like, I spent $5 on this meal, but after all of the interest, because I'm not paying it off in full, that true. meal probably cost me like $20, $25. True, so. true. I, I think that, you know, people, and it's hard, you know, like I said, sometimes, you know, the brain is just not really on that level when you're 20, 21, sometimes understand, you know, interest and okay. Over time, if I don't pay this off right away, you know, um, you know, there's just some things that you you grasp mentally at uh, 30 that you didn't when you were like 16 or something like that. So that's you know, true. And if you if you have your parents that can help you out, and you um, if you want to still build credit, but you know you kind of don't trust yourself, and you mm-hmm. maybe your parent doesn't trust you as much. <laughs> Um, what they can do is if they add you as an authorized user on one of their credit cards, but don't give you a card, um, as long as they're using the card and paying it off each month, you actually build credit for your credit score as well. You know, and I will say that's kind of one of the weaknesses, I think, in parenting that generally speaking, we do as parents. We don't really sit our young folks down and say, okay, well, this is the monthly mortgage note, and this is how much mom and dad's paycheck is, and, you know, we have to pay, you know, this much for groceries. So a lot of times we send our young folks out into this world with no foundation for understanding how this whole process works, and, you know, know, it's kind of a a sad setup, but... It's unfortunate. Yeah, it is. It is. You know, we don't teach our kids how to balance a checkbook before we send them out the house or anything. You're like, here, have a good time. Go to college. You know, right. like, wait a minute. Hold on a minute. <laughs> you later. <laughs> wait a minute. I go from toilet paper was always on the roll to like, how am I going to figure out how to get the toilet paper? Like, wait a minute now. Hold on. So, exactly. you know, it's it's a rough it's a rough place that we uh we put young people in without the tools, the proper tools to be financially sound. And then unfortunately, they kind of sink or swim and sink is usually what we do. Yep. Um, so budgeting, you know, what you, you talk about a lot, you know, setting a budget, you know, sticking to the budget, you know, that it sounds so much like that Charlie Brown thing to young people. Wah, 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 wah. How do you how do you get a young person to kind of you know, actually sit down and, you know, OK, I'm going to buy me a, a outfit maybe once every two months or, you know, this I'm going to, you know, put this away for that. How do you. How do you stress the importance of budgeting your money to a young person? Well, the first thing I do is I just I tell them just start simply. So in the same way that if you wanted to lose weight and eat healthy and, um, you know, do better with your personal health, you would start simple. Maybe um, drink more water every single day and cut out uh, sugary drinks. So the same thing you can do with a budget. So the first step I would say is to set your savings percentage. Mm-hmm. And I recommend that everyone start with saving at least 10%. So okay. take 10% from what you make and put it aside. And if that's all you can do for your budget, then that's fine. But if you have more goals, the more goals that you have, the more structured your budget is going to have to be. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have a goal to purchase a home and you know that you're going to need, you know, a $20,000 down payment and you've got maybe five years to save that, then you know that you kind of need to go ahead and start thinking about how you can save about $4,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And that's going to kind of play into your budget or how much you um, how much you decide to spend and save. And a budget is really it's just a roadmap. It's just a way for you to to make it to your goals in the most efficient way possible. Gotcha, gotcha. Now I'm assuming you know back to the original when we opened the the show today, the segment, and when you were saying that you were over twenty two thousand in, in in debt, that you had to establish a budget. Um, can you walk us through exactly like step by step what you did to get out of that? Because I'm I'm sure it wasn't like an overnight situ- situation. Oh, sure. Yeah, I wish it was overnight. <laughs> that would have been really nice. Uh, what I what I did was I set my first goal, which was I would like to be out of debt in three years. And so that was the goal that I knew I had to structure my budget around. Um, I also had um, a goal of putting away at least 10 percent 
for savings and emergencies so that, for example, if my car broke down, I didn't have to stop my credit card payments. I would Mm -hmm. still be able to take care of those. And then I had another goal of putting enough into my employer 401k plan to get the match that they offered. Uh, They offered um, a match for every dollar that I put in up to a certain percentage. So I knew that I wanted to get that. So those are my three must haves. Mm -hmm. And so I structured my budget around those three. Everything else had to either be minimized or had to go. Um, I chose to uh, live on my own. So I found an apartment that was pretty small, Um, I kept my expenses low there. Um, I decorated my apartment with cash. So every check I was able to buy one new thing or something like that. You know, nothing. I didn't use any more credit. And I knew that in three years I would have everything paid off if I just stuck to the plan. And that's basically what I did. Okay, so cash only and downsizing a lot of stuff. Now, um, I'm pretty sure because you, you mentioned, I think if I'm remembering correctly, that there was an 11-month period where you were out of job. So I'm going to assume that, you know, people were calling on the phone, you know, Miss Styles, what about this payment? Can you make a minimum payment? Can, what do you do for, how do you deal with debt collectors when you're trying to arrange a plan to pay off your debt? Yes, that was pretty stressful. <laughs> so I, have, I had debt collectors calling me. I had a system set up in my phone where if it was enough, I didn't know. I just like didn't pick it up and ignore it. And, uh, you know, I, I definitely I went through that. So I understand that struggle. Um, what I did was, like I said, with that 11 months, I was out of a job. My debt really started kind of falling behind and getting delinquent. So I chose to go with a consumer credit counseling agency. And when I was able to start paying off my debt uh, a couple of months after I got my job, they called and contacted all of my creditors. They were able to negotiate fee concessions. Um, In some cases, they were able to get my interest rates down to zero. Mm. And they set up a plan with those creditors where all I had to do was make one payment to them. And I also paid a monthly fee to them, an administrative fee. And then they took those that payment and they split it out among my creditors. And so that really, really helped me to get everything taken care of. Good stuff. So, you know, a lot of times people, you know, assume that they just have to ignore the calls and, you know, it'll go away. But people need to understand that there are some avenues, some tools, some resources out there that they can use to get the calls to stop and actually come up with a manageable plan to kind of pay back all your creditors. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of times they'll work with you. I mean, the problem was, is that I I wasn't picking up the phone. And then when mm-hmm. I did pick up the phone, I mean, I didn't really have any money at all. I didn't have a job at all. I was working part time just enough to, you know, pay my cell phone bill and, and pay mm-hmm. my car payment. And um, so I just didn't have what they were asking for. But if you have even, you know, just a little bit, sometimes you can work with them and say, you know, hey, I can't give you the entire five hundred dollars what you're asking for right now, but I can give you 10 payments of fifty dollars each. Can we spread this out? And a lot of times they will work with you in order to um, close out your debt. Good deal. Good deal. A lot of people think it's all or nothing, and, and it's not that way at all. Miss uh, Styles, we're going to take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back. Welcome back. Today I am with Miss Letitia Styles the financial consultant to the millennial generation. And uh, before the break, we were talking about uh, some creative ways to pay off debt. Uh, One of the ones she was talking about was uh, she did for herself was getting with a credit consulting agency to help her pay off her debt. Um, So, and I think we mentioned that a lot of people don't understand that they have the opportunity to actually pick up that phone, talk to the collector and say, you know, I don't have it all, but I have something and they'll work with you. I think psychologically people just kind of get really, really overwhelmed with the, the situation of I'm drowning in debt. And that's that's where they start to really sink further. Um, I think they really need to be encouraged to like, you know, it's OK. To, all I have is a dollar. I mean, will you take that? And I, I think people need to get in that mindset. Something is better than nothing. Yeah. And I think one thing that hurt me is because 
I was, you know, I was really down because, you know, I felt like my self-worth was tied to my ability to earn, <laughs> my ability to pay back my debt. And some of these creditors, they can be bullies. I mean, mm -hmm. their job is to try to squeeze that money out of you. Mm -hmm. So they can be pretty aggressive. And I remember one call with a really aggressive creditor and she, you know, she was so rude that I just started crying. Mm. I remember like telling her like, Hey, like I don't have the money. I have a degree, but I don't have a job and, and kind of going through the whole sob story literally. And after I got off that call, I just, I felt so dumb. I was, <laughs> you know, why am I on the phone crying to this random person? I know, <laughs> you know, like why am I crying about money? Mm -hmm. And that's when I decided that I would never get allow money to uh, manage my emotions anymore. And I decided that money was just a tool. If I made it, I would pay the debt back. And if I didn't make it, then they would just have to wait until I had it. And um, it was very empowering once I changed my mindset over money. True. And you bring up a point I, I like people to understand is debt collectors can only really talk to you a certain way. I mean, the way she made you feel and, you know, um, there are some legal boundaries that debt collectors have when it comes to trying to collect money from people. Is that correct? That's correct. And I actually, I learned a couple of these, um, a couple of those rules. And I remember I got on the phone with one creditor and, you know, they can only, they can't harass you. Mm -hmm. So they can uh, tell you what they will do. And if it's something that they will do, then that's okay to say, but they can't threaten something that they know they can't do. Gotcha. So I remember one creditor saying that, well, if you don't pay us something today, then we're going to have to take the next step. And, you know, in the past, I would have thought, oh, no, the next step, because you automatically <laughs> assume the next step is, you know, this big, bad thing. Yeah. So because I knew my rights, I just responded and I said, okay, what's that next step? There you go. And, you know, he kind of fumbled and he said, well, you know, we're, you know, have to send the paperwork on. I'm like, okay, what does send the paperwork on? <laughs> and finally, he just got off the phone with me. I think he was so frustrated. He was like, well, we'll just call you back. <laughs> Either way, you're not getting anything, buddy. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty funny. So yes, you do have rights. You don't. Um, you are not allowed to be harassed. If you ask them to stop calling you at a certain phone number, they have to stop calling you. You may have to um, send it in writing, but mm -hmm. definitely look look um, and find out your rights. Um, they are available, and, and I can send the link to you um, after the show if you want to put it in the show notes for the federal site that shows you exactly what your rights are, depending. Um, on the creditors so cool stuff cool stuff like I said I think a lot of times people just don't know and the best thing that you can do for yourself is be informed I mean that's the best thing that you can do for yourself is be informed when it comes to these matters now um, when talking about millennials you say uh, one of the things pieces of advice that you give them is plan for retirement we've talked about that um, earlier but you also suggest that they invest um, what types of things um, especially with the economy the way it is now, I mean, we're starting to recover a bit, they say. Um, what do you suggest that millennials invest in? Well, I think millennials and young people in general are in a really good position because um, one of the best ways to earn money is by taking advantage of time. And mm -hmm. so because you're young, you have all of that time, you can make some more mistakes um, than others because eventually, as long as you're making good decisions over the long run, then that trend will kind of smooth out. And the best thing to do is to start with what you have and start with, you know, saving and putting aside that 10%. If you want to start investing, go ahead and put aside another 10% and then you can take that money and start investing. It's important to make your investing consistent. So I recommend that young people get started with an index fund and begin putting in whatever you can um, each month or each time you get paid, as long as you know you don't need that money to pay bills or take care of yourself, put that um, into into your um, investment plan and you'll see that money continue to grow over time. Um, but it may not be three months, six months, mm -hmm. one year, but over about a range of about five years, you should see growth in your investments. 
Gotcha, gotcha. Now, talking about investments, there's some some undercurrents or some grumbling these days. You know, I know I'm 45, so back in my generation, college was seen as an investment, an investment in yourself, your future. Um, there's some people today that say that it's not the same type of investment that it used to be, and maybe young people need to go out and, you know, right after graduation from high school, maybe try to pursue entrepreneurship or something like that. Do you feel that uh, college is still a viable investment for millennials? I do. I do. I think that it it does need to be thought of a little bit differently. So Mm -hmm. with college, instead of automatically jumping into it because you think you're going to get a great job just because you went to school, Mm -hmm. you you have to go in kind of thinking about what you want to do. And if you don't know what you want to do yet, then yeah, I think it would be a better idea to kind of get started um, with just a regular job as you kind of figure out your interests and figure out what you want to do. Because if you don't know what you want to do, you'll end up kind of like me. So <laughs> I did was I went to school and I really enjoyed learning Spanish. So I decided to get a Spanish degree. <laughs> and, um, you know, I, I took out student loans for it. And I realized that I didn't want to do anything with the Spanish degree. Like I didn't want to teach. I didn't want to translate. <laughs> and so it was you know, four years of me, you know, spending money on something that I didn't want. And mm. Subsequently, ended up going back to school for a finance degree, which I actually really do enjoy. And I could have saved, you know, so much more money if I would have just waited maybe a year or so to figure out what I really enjoyed doing and then went to school for that degree, knowing that that degree is going to help me uh, make more money in my career. So reflecting back, if you did it differently, in my understanding, maybe you would have taken a year or two to kind of figure it out and then go to college. Yeah, I probably would have if in knowing what I know now, obviously, I I would have worked part time in a professional setting. Um, it, do, it didn't really matter or wouldn't have really mattered what professional setting, but just enough so that you can get um, a letter of recommendation and showing that you're doing more than um, just using a cash register. So maybe I would have worked mm-hmm. at a bank or um, as an admin in an office. And then after saving up, I probably would have gone to a two year school, a local school that was relatively cheap um, and got that uh, two-year associate's degree, continued to work in my career, found a you know more career-based job. And then if that employer valued a four-year bachelor's degree, then I would have gone to school to finish the four-year bachelor's and continue education from there. Okay. Okay. Good, good tips. Good tips. Because like I said, you know, it's quite a high topic these days. A lot of people are, you know, especially with compounded with the, the debt, the college loan, the student loan debt, you know, people are kind of like, mm, maybe this college thing is not the best investment that uh, it used to be. And, right. Uh, and the issue is that school is just getting more expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't as expensive in the past year. So with the better availability of student loans, a lot of colleges are just, you know, charging more and, you know, maybe they are providing more services, but that cost that you're spending is not equaling out to um, what you're able to earn in your first first year of earning. Okay. Now, forgive my ignorance. Uh, generally speaking, how long would it take the person to, to, how many years would it take the person to pay off a student loan in general? The general um, rule of thumb is your loans are spread out over 10 years. Mm-hmm. So if you take out federal loans, they're going to give you a payback plan that is assuming a 10-year payoff. What um, The problem is, is that if you get up kind of beyond about 10000 if you're maybe 20000 30000 and you come out and get your first job, you might not be making enough for the monthly payments that they want. Wow. So the good thing is with federal loans, they allow you to um, try a couple different payment plans. They have an income-based repayment. Uh, they have a plan that kind of graduates along with uh, your income as you make more money. And I think you can spread it out a maximum over 20 years. Wow. So I'm just thinking, so even with the 10-year plan, so if you graduate from college and, you know, let's say you're 26 or something, um, Ten years from there, you'll be 36. But this is also around the time that we're starting families, we're trying to buy a house, and I'm dragging all of this debt into this life I'm trying to build. It can create a lot of weight. Yeah, and that's kind of the issue, and that's the you know the headlines that are coming out right now is that the problem is that because millennials have so much student loan debt, 
they are not able to kind of spur the economy on more by doing all those things that, you know, their um, their elders did, which is buying the home, which allows, you know, for more jobs to be created. Mm-hmm. Um, they're getting married later, um, having children later. So all of those life events that cause people to spend the money that spurs the economy, millennials, which they're the biggest generational group right now, you know, we're not able to do that because we're so held back with these financial obligations we have from the student loans. Wow, wow. It's a big cycle there. Well, Miss Lady, we're going to take our last uh, commercial break of the day. Stay with me. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Welcome back. Welcome back. Today, I have been spending some time with the lady you've seen in Forbes, U.S. News, Main Street, and The Economist, Miss Letitia Stiles. Um, Miss Stiles, you have a book coming out, or is it out, called I've Graduated from College, Now What? It's, it's forthcoming. It should be released right about the beginning of the year. Oh, okay. And what will we find in that book? Um, in that book, I talk about uh, tips to help you uh have a great resume so that you can get your career started. It's kind of everything you need to know right after college to jump into a career. Um, I talk about your resume. I talk about um, interview tips and getting ready for your interview, how to find a job if you haven't even, you know, had the opportunity to find the right one for you and uh, tips to apply for them and everything you need to know in order to get that first job so you can really start your financial life. Now, is it difficult for a lot of college graduates out there to find jobs? I think it's really difficult right now because I I, I like to blame new technology, (laughs) mostly because a lot of these jobs, they're requesting that you apply online. And there are the systems that are in place. You know, the computer is scanning your resume and Mm -hmm. the computer is looking for certain buzzwords, whatever buzzwords the employer has said that they want. Um, And and. There's one uh, system, and I mean, this is something that if you apply for one job and then you apply for another job and you see that they're using the same system, it's likely that they're using this type of technology. And so the problem is, is that, you know, your resume not even make it past round one and you had no idea because you weren't using the, the correct keywords. So is it like... Um Twitter or Instagram where I can go somewhere and there's like this list of what buzzwords that I should be using on my resume because I can figure out the top popular hashtags. So can I figure out the top <laughs> popular buzzwords for my resume? Yeah, well, I guess one thing that's it's easy to do is, I mean, you have to know your industry. So let's okay. say, for example, you are working. Um, I can use finance because that's just what I know. Um, if you are using um, if you're applying for an investment position, um, you wouldn't say that. I, um, I had, I have practiced buying stocks, buying and selling stocks. That's not something you would say. If you had experience, um, buying and selling stocks with like maybe your school investment fund, then you would say that you participated in buy side investing. So that's a keyword that you should know if you're in finance. And that's kind of what they're looking for. They're looking for someone with quote buy side experience or quote sell side experience. And so you should know how to take your experience and translate it into your industry keywords. Um, it may involve you reading some more industry publications or um, paying attention to the job description. That's one really easy way to do it. Look at the job description. Look at what keywords they use in the job description and tailor your resume to that job description. It's going to take some more time, but it's really going to help you stand out and make it past round one so that you can actually become a candidate for the position. Gotcha, gotcha. So I guess this might translate into a, an industry for somebody um, helping people build resumes after college then. Um. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people that will consult and kind of help you with your resume. And it's something that I've been considering doing. So, I mean, if anyone's interested and in, in you're straight out of college and you want some help building your resume, I have done it for a couple of my friends. You know, you can just contact me and um, I'd be happy to see how I can help. Gotcha, gotcha. Now that that after graduation, I've walked across stage, I've thrown my cap, you know, into the air, and my family's there, and hoorah, and all of that excitement of that. Um, sometimes there's a great emotional letdown right after that because now I need to find a job, and the jobs are not always accessible. Um, how do you suggest that somebody deals with that that plateau? 
Yeah, there are a couple of um, emotional letdowns after college because, <laughs> you know, with college, you had that um, the built in friend system. You had everyone was going to the same place for the same reason. And um, so that there's a little bit of emotional separation there. Once you graduate, I would say the number one thing to do, and this will help you find a job as well, is to join an industry organization. So find an organization in your industry, uh, something where, you know, they meet pretty often, maybe once a month or maybe every other week. Uh, try joining a Toastmasters. It's going to help you with your speaking and it's going to help you as well, you know, kind of meet more people and you can potentially source a job opportunity through um, an industry contact or through a local group like a Toastmasters. Okay, cool, cool. So um, I, I think I forgot to ask you the book. When is it coming out again, or did I ask you that? Yes, no, the book <laughs> is the book is with the editor now, so it was supposed to be released um, at the end of the year, but I decided, you know, college kids, obviously graduations are on May, so uh, we're shooting for a start-of-the-year uh, launch. And how will people be able to pick up a copy of the book? Yes, you can uh, head over to youngfinances.com and all of the information for the book will be there. Actually, I do have a website for the book. It's called gradnowwhat.com. So G-R-A-D-N-O-W-W-H-A-T, gradnowwhat.com. And that's how you can find out more information for the book and uh, pre-order a copy. Oh, okay. All right. So we will be looking for that next year. Yes. Okay, cool, cool beans. Um, so one more thing, you also have a, um, a valuable teaching tool called Young Finances TV. What, what do people find out on your show and how do they access it? Yes, yeah, so Young Finances TV is something that I've been doing for the, about the last year and a half. Um, basically each week on Tuesdays, I publish an episode with just tips and tricks and information for um, for you to kind of budget better and, you know, kind of get your finances together, anything about investing. Uh, one example, a video I did was, you know, how to budget for groceries. And I try to make them a little bit funny and kind of include um, tips and any questions that my readers have or uh, my YouTube viewers they have. Then I try to respond um, and just kind of make a video response for them. So you can find that at youngfinances.com slash TV. Okay. Now, I'm not sure if it was the the TV show that I saw or was it your blog? But you give out tips for, you know, how the millennial can, you know, date on a budget, get married on a budget and, and those types of things. Um, was that the TV show or was that on yes. your blog? Yes. The TV no, show. That, yep. That's at the, uh, the YouTube channel. So what suggestions do you have for dating on a budget? Well, for dating on a budget, I remember when <laughs> I first uh, published that. Yeah, that one is, um, you know, don't be afraid to you know, do some of the, um, I guess they might be thought of as cheesy, you know, like mm -hmm. picnic in the park. Mm -hmm. But I mean, that's pretty simple. It's pretty inexpensive and it allows you to get to know the other person better. Um, some other options are check with your college to see if they're putting on a play or any production. A lot of times you can get inexpensive tickets to that. Um, you can look for local events in your area, like an open mic night where it might be more inexpensive. You know, you have to get really creative and mm -hmm. really use it as an opportunity to get to know the other person better without spending a whole lot of money. I mean, dinner and a movie is is really old, and it really doesn't allow you to, to get to know the other person really well. I like that. Now, in defense of uh, the males out there, sometimes women can be a little harsh. So if a guy's trying to date a woman and get to know her and he pulls out a coupon to play for something, you know, the woman <laughs> kind, of, kind of looks at him kind of like, oh, I don't think I want this to go any further. So it's a difficult, tricky situation for sometimes us to be in when it comes to this dating situation. Yeah, I mean, I've had that question before. Someone asked me, you know, if a guy pulled out a coupon on the first date, or if he, or if he pulled up to pick you up, you know, in a in a hoopty in a car, <laughs> great, you know, what would you think? And to be honest, I mean, maybe I'm just a little bit different, but I would prefer someone who has good financial habits and someone who's trying to be flashy. Mm -hmm. And so I think you just have to figure out if you know if that person has a problem with you using a coupon, then maybe it's not the right person for you. You probably also shouldn't use a coupon on the first date you know maybe <laughs> maybe you get to know the person first and then when you talk about how you you know handle your money then the uh -huh. coupon on the second date is really no surprise 
There you go. Like, baby, I'm trying to save for this house. It's the coupon of the house. Which one exactly. do you want? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, and I mentioned one of the other things that you give financial advice on, and I've always kind of been my pet peeve, is um, budget planning for a wedding. You know, my philosophy has always been it's just one day. You know, why yes. go before for this just one day thing? Um, but what kind of budget tips and tools do you give for a millennial wedding? Yeah, and that's this is something that I'm going through right now. Personally, my fiance and I are, are planning our wedding. Congratulations. Thank you. And we did. We had the same conversation. Um, we believe that the wedding is really just a party. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a party for you and your friends. Like, yes, you know, it's important, you know, the ceremony and everything, you know, that's a, you know, sacred, but the reception and everything that what people normally spend up to $25,000 on, you know, that's just a party. So if you think about it, how much would you be willing to spend on a party for you and your friends for one day? Really, all you really want from that event is the pictures. So think about what you're willing to spend. Don't go into debt for it. Don't borrow money for it. You know, save up, do something small. And if you guys are still together after 25 years, then maybe $25,000 is not a bad idea for another wedding. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. We can have our anniversary wedding, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, it just just never made any sense for me. And I'm like, okay, you're spending how much on a dress that you're going to wear for like a few hours? And, you know, you have it just financially, it just never made any sense for me, the the extravagance and the all out that people go through for these weddings. I just, I never understood it, you know. So, you know, I I have quite a few friends they spend all of this money and then you know it's like oh you're divorced five years later like okay now we have nothing to show for this so. <laughs> exactly exactly so <laughs> and we just start with a simple budget and then try to kind of go from there like if you know you want to spend maybe five thousand dollars for your wedding then stick to five thousand dollars if you only have two thousand you can actually do a lot with two thousand dollars but you have to be creative and you have to be willing to you know maybe make a couple of sacrifices here and there Okay. Now, real quick before we get out of here, um, you said earlier that the millennial is considered to be somebody between like 14, 15 to age 33, 34. So um, let's say you're sitting and you're giving some consulting services to a 14, 15-year-old. What tip would you give to that young person to prepare them for their financial future? The first thing that you can do is as you're working a job, remember that the money that you make right now is yours to keep all of it because you have no obligations. You don't have anything that you, you know, you don't have bills right now. So take the time to learn good, good financial habits, save 10, 20, 30, 40% and live on the rest. Learn to live on less than what you make. And if you keep that up for the rest of your life, you'll never have a problem. Good deal. Good deal. Now, what advice would you give to the 33, 34 millennial? Yep. At this age, I know that you probably have debt. You probably are, you know, trying to make it and trying to, you know, reach that financial freedom that you want. But just remember that it's all about good financial habits. So wherever you can start, just start with what you have, whether it's putting away 10%, whether it's, you know, cutting out one thing from your budget, start small and then continue to build from there. Good deal. Good deal. Good tips. Good tips. Miss Lady, we are at the end of our hour. My guest today has been Miss Letitia Stiles. Please visit her website, LetitiaStiles.com. Check out all her tips on creating a healthy financial lifestyle. Miss Lady, thank you so much for hanging out with me today. I wish you success in all your endeavors and your upcoming marriage. Thank you so much, Lena. Thanks for having me. That is all for this week's show. I'll be back next week at the same time. Until then, remember when it comes to your dreams, the words can't and won't should never slow you down. There is always space to change and to grow. Don't be boxed in. Live your very best life. I am your host, Lana Reed, and I'll see you next week.